1970, in between college years, when I was working at a company to earn money for college, I managed to get the parts given to me to build a computer of my own design. The friend down the block that helped me do this also knew Steve Jobs, and he introduced us. He said, you've got to meet Steve Jobs because he knows this digital electronics. He builds devices with flashing numbers that can count strings on a guitar and what note they're playing and things like that, and he likes to play pranks. I was a very much a fun humorist all my life, and wow, so Steve Jobs came by, and I would have been too shy to go meet him but he came by and we started talking and sure enough, we hit it off. He could describe things that he had done in electronics. I could just de describe myself and my computer interest in designs. And uh, we just became, you know, best friends for a long time. We're gonna talk about introductions today. We're gonna talk about introductions. And I can tell you this, that, um, so this message is not, um, it's not really honestly super, um, challenging for me to put together because it's not super theologically you know heavy and it took lots of study and it's not uh, anything I have you, you probably won't hear anything you have haven't already known but this thing this message has been a battle to put together and I thought that I thought Lord why is it because this isn't some super heavy topic and it's not you know real theologically just uh, complex and whatever and I just kept plodding away, and it finally occurred to me just a few days ago, um, you know why this has been such a battle, I think? Because it's one thing, so we have an enemy, right, who's out to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't like you because you're identified with Jesus. And it occurred to me, I think the reason this has been such a battle is it's one thing if we get up here and we share with you biblical truths about how to be intimate with Jesus, and thanks from his word. It's another thing where we start to share with you truths about taking that intimacy with Jesus, your experience with him, and now giving it away to other people. He really doesn't like that. And so I think that's why it was such, such a plotting exercise this week. But we're here and we're going through anyway. So um, I like to say very often, I've probably heard me say before, that the Christian life isn't about you, but it does include you. And so here in the West, in the Western church, um, especially these days, we get that all backwards where when we say, Jesus saved me, God loves me, he has a plan for my life, the emphasis is on me or on I, and it's a little less on Jesus. And Paul says that is completely, completely backwards because he says in uh, the, the epistles, he said, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So the Christian life includes me, but it's not totally about me. Well, this REACH initiative that we've been talking about is about the biblical gospel, where it's Jesus first, then it's us, where he's the big deal, and then we come along. It's about reaching out and helping other people. And REACH, of course, involves, uh, the initiative involves some, some programs, some programs and some services. That means we have to recruit some people and train them, uh, get them into the right seat on the bus, uh, so that they can serve in this ministry. So it includes all those things, and all those things take money. So if you have made a pledge to the REACH initiative, thank you. And if you have uh, paid that, or you are in the process of paying that, thank you. Uh, the good news is, if you uh, haven't done either one of those yet, there's plenty of time. This is a two-year campaign, and so there's plenty of time to jump on board uh, as the Lord leads. And so thank you for your financial giving. But there's something just as critical to the REACH initiative, 
in addition to finances and services. And the reality is, if we don't reach out to other people, we don't need new facilities. We don't need a building for the Ankeny campus if we're not reaching out to people. And we don't need a daycare if we're not reaching out to people. And we don't need some of the other things that are in the works that will be coming down the pike pretty soon. Because without impacting people, there's no need for the rest of it. So this other part of the REACH initiative, in addition to the finances, we presented it in the form of a question. And the question is, who's your one? Who's your one? And we've gone ahead and defined that for you. Someone not walking with Jesus might be somebody who never uh, has known him as Savior, might be somebody who has known him as Savior, but they've just you know, let that relationship kind of go dormant. So it's somebody not walking with Jesus, someone who's local to you. Now, that doesn't mean they live across the street these days with technology. It might mean somebody who lives in another region, but it's somebody you have pretty good contact with, pretty regular. So someone who's local to you and somebody you rearrange your life for. Somebody you rearrange your life for. But before I move on, let me tell you what one is not. There's three things that one is not, okay? First of all, not primarily an evangelism program. So if you're sitting there and you say, um, gosh, that's great, but I don't have the gift of evangelism, don't sweat it. I don't either. And you don't need that, and I'll talk more about that later. So it's not primarily an evangelism program, although I want to be clear, we for sure do want people to have an opportunity to know Jesus and to surrender to him. That'll come later. Again, I'll talk about that in just a couple minutes, okay? Your one, second thing, one is not, your one is not a project. Nobody wants to be somebody else's project. Because if we see uh, one as a project, then the, um, the potential outcome is, well, they're not responding. I've, I've shared the gospel with them, and they, they were kind of lukewarm to it, or maybe they just said not interested. So we throw them aside, and we go on and try to find another one. It's not that. So one is not a project. We're not out to try to tally up decisions for Christ. If we don't get it, move on. And third is this, and I like to word this this way. One is not a spiritual scavenger hunt. It's not hard to find one. You probably already know people. You probably already interact with people, maybe not on a a formal basis, maybe not on a real um, frequent basis. You probably already know some of these people who could be your one. Okay, you already have connection with them. So to answer the question, who's your one, our big overarching question, there's a couple fundamental questions under that. Before you can answer, who's my one, there's a couple questions we have to settle, first of all. And the first one is this. What has God given you? Think about what God has given you. Not materially, not what you're driving, not what you live in, not what you wear, not what you enjoy, but the things that can't be quantified necessarily, the things that, that can't be measured or observed with your eyes. I'm talking about something that's intangible. Because it's intangible, it's kind of hard to explain. So here's an example. You ever met somebody, probably many of us have had this experience, you ever met somebody somewhere and you walked away from that interaction and you thought to yourself, I don't know what it is about that person, but man, we just kind of clicked. There's just a connection there. You've probably experienced that. I have a number of times. Like, what is the deal? There's just a good connection there. And out of that connection, as you connected with them and spent more time with them, out of that connection, you started talking about things and maybe started talking about things of a deeper, a little more consequence. Out of that connection, maybe you started to see some things differently. Maybe you started to 
speak differently, take on different values, made different conclusions about some things, and ultimately um, you started to act differently. That comes out of that connection. Well, if you can relate to all that, then the intangible that God has given us just comes down to one word that we all have. It's something we all possess, and the word is influence, or the ability to be an influence. Now, for some people, their influence is deep and wide, and for some people, it's much narrower, it's much more shallow. That doesn't matter. God's not grading on a curve. But in some form or fashion, we all have influence. So influence, if you think about influence, it's uh, probably think of people with lots of charisma, lots of money, you know, they're well connected and they know everybody and everything. They've got all these, you want to go back one slide please? They've got all these deep connections and that may be true, but that's not necessary. That, that's not needed. You have influence whether or not you have any of that. As I said, influence could be deep and wide. It could be very narrow and very, very shallow. That doesn't mean your influence is shallow. It just means you don't have the depth of influence that other people have. But God's not, not grading, so you don't have to sweat that. Now, if you go to that next slide for us. So, Webster defines in, uh, influence as the power or capacity of causing an effect in indirect or intangible ways. That's why I say you don't have to be an evangelist. That's a very direct way. If you do have the gift of evangelism, go with it. Use that. But if you don't, you can have influence in somebody's life in an indirect or intangible way. So you think again about that person maybe you connected with and you walked away and said, what is it about that person, you know? I like that guy or I like that person. What drew you? I'm not talking about what externally, what they were wearing or, you know, what their job is or where they live, anything external like that. I'm talking about something deeper down here. What is it that drew you to them? Well, first of all, somebody introduced you or a circumstance brought you together. You all connected like that. But what solidified that connection, what really bonded you with them and caused you to, to say to yourself, boy, there's something I'm attracted to there. What that was was much deeper, was something authentic. Maybe it was things you had in common. Maybe it was where you grew up. You got talking. You had the same values, the same beliefs. You liked the same teams or whatever it might be. I'd sum it up by saying this. That person, that person was just being themselves. They were just being who and what they are, and you were being who and what you are, and there was a connection. You don't have that with everybody. So there's just a connection. So look again at these words that Webster uses, indirect and intangible. I'd say this, I wrote it down this way, influence in the context of a one is the power or capacity of causing effect by being surrendered to Jesus, first of all, and just being yourself. Because Jesus will work within the context of your personality and your gifts and your abilities. And he's going to look different in you than he is in you than he is in me but you just get to be yourself. That's why one here at Radiant is not a program, it's not a class, there's not a special uh, workbook or anything you have to do. You know why? Because you already know how to be you. You've got a lifetime of experience just being you. Now that's the easy part of, of this one initiative. There's another piece to this. It's not harder, but it's going to be more intentional doesn't take much intention to be yourself. It takes some more intention for the second part. So the second foundational question is this. Think about all the things God has given you, one of which is influence. The second big question is, what kind of steward are you? 
What kind of steward are you? What kind of manager are you of all the things that God has blessed you with? As I said, that influence may be wide, it might be narrow. But take a look at this next slide because stewards understand three things. They understand that God owns everything. Everything they have ultimately comes from the hand of the Lord. They understand that there'll be an accounting for how they stewarded, how they managed the things that God gave them. And they understand that there's a requirement to use what was given to them. I love that last uh, verse there. Paul tells Timothy to fan into a flame the gift that God gave you. Don't let it go out. Don't let it go dormant. Don't let it just lie there. Don't pick it up periodically. Fan it into a flame. The gifts that God has given you, the spiritual gifts in particular, you've got to use them. You've got to exercise them. And they grow and they, they have more impact in people's lives. So how are you using that um, influence that God has given you? Probably have never even thought of, of the fact that you have influence. Maybe some have. But by and large, we probably haven't thought of that. We have influence. It's incumbent on us to use it. Just a stewardship question there. How about the gifts he's given you uh, of brokenness, of surrender, of repentance, gift of humility? Are you using those? Are you exercising those? Do you stay in that posture? Or were you once broken, but now you've been fixed, right, like any of us are, uh, and you've abandoned that? No, stay broken, stay repentant, stay humble. How are you using the talents and the abilities and the interests and the hobbies and the things that God has given you? So with all that as a background, I want to go quickly through six things. There's more than that, but I just put down six things needed to connect with the one. You'll find it on your worship guide. If you're a small group leader, there's some Bible verses there. You can use that for your next study if you want. Um, connecting with one. First thing is this, is think of the biblical characters who God used. Go to that. Yeah, thank you. Think of the biblical characters who God used. And you look at that and you think, what do they all have in common? Well, it's pretty obvious what they all have in common. They said, yes, here I am. I'm available. Use me. I love Ananias in Acts chapter 9. Just said, yes. Yes, Lord. You know what he was saying yes to there? If you know, remember Acts 9? He's saying yes to going and ministering to this um, this thug who was killing Christians, a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And the Holy Spirit said, hey, Ananias, I need you to go over there and lay hands on him and pray for him. What? He didn't say that. He said, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. So the first thing we need is authenticity. So that person who you met and you connected with, I'm sorry, the first thing is, is your yes. So that reflects the right heart, the right willingness, the right attitude. And you might sit here this morning and say, well, I'm not where those guys were. I'm, I'm not ready to, to say yes. I'm not willing. Well, are you willing to be willing? Are you willing to be willing? I have a good friend who was uh, many years ago in that spot as a horrible, horrible homeless alcoholic. And he was being ministered to and he was really no outward result, really. And they said, I don't think this is for you. And he said, man, they said, you don't seem willing to surrender. He said, but I'm willing to be willing. I want, and absolutely, God will use that. So if you're willing to be willing, 
then yes, the Lord will take that if you give that to him. Second thing is this. People can sense, people can discern authenticity, I think, a mile away. They may not know it. They may not understand what exactly it is they're observing. There's that old saying, um, people can smell a phony a mile away. That doesn't mean we judge people. Just you can kind of sense something doesn't seem right here, okay? I think the flip side is that that is true. Many times you can kind of sense when something's authentic. Whether I get it or not, there's something authentic here, like the person you met uh, and really connected with. So are you willing to be authentic? Because if you're willing to be authentic, and by authentic I mean transparent and open. One of the reasons I tell, somebody told me once you tell too many stories about yourself. I said, well, yeah, I hear you, and I'm going to keep doing that. One of the reasons I keep doing that is not because of me, because I've made so many dumb mistakes, and the Lord has been so gracious to me, I want to give those lessons away. So hopefully you don't have to uh, do the, relive the same thing. But that's part of authenticity. As it turns out, when you and I live authentically, we are in good hands because in John, the Gospel of John, somebody brings this guy named Nathaniel to Jesus and makes an introduction. And Nathaniel, being Nathaniel, finds out that Jesus is from Nazareth. He's like, Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Who comes from that dump, you know? That's like a paraphrase. And Jesus is not put off by that one bit. Not even, he doesn't even bat an eye at that. Jesus says, oh, Nathaniel, now here is a man in whom is no deceit. There's no pretense with this guy. He's not hiding in it. I can work with him. I can change the world through this guy because he's authentic and he's transparent. Isn't that awesome? So authenticity is what we need to connect with our ones. The third thing we need is this, is a willingness to simply use what you have. Just offer, Lord, here's everything I believe you've given me, and I offer it to you. I understand it came from you, and I offer it back to you for you to use. Freely I've received, and freely I give. There's a, uh, before we go to the next slide, there's a really obscure reference that the Lord used uh, many years ago to minister to me in this area. There was a guy I used to hear speak three times a week, sometimes four, and man, it was like every time this guy spoke, and I know. It's been many years, so it's probably more inflated in my head than it really was. Um, but it was like, every time he spoke, it was like, man, there's just, it's solid. There's weight to what he's saying. This is crazy. And I would sit there, and many times, rather than um, get the lesson, the point that he was teaching, you know what my thought was? My big spiritual thought was, man, how does he do that? I could never do that. I could never get up in front of people and, and speak like that. Oh, that just happened all the time. And one time, in the middle of that, thought, I was going to say in the middle of that prayer, it wasn't prayer, I was whining. In the middle of that, it was like the, the Lord just spoke to me and said, hey, you know what? I called him to come over here and do this. And I gave him the gift and the ability to do it. And I called you to do what you're doing. And I gifted you for that. And if I want him to do that, I'll give him the ability. If I want you to do that, I'll give you the ability. And I said to the Lord, this is very spiritual, I said to the Lord, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah, thanks. I happened to be, at that time, I happened to be reading the book of Judges, and it's really interesting because the Lord just confirmed, it was like a day or two later, the Lord confirmed to me what he said in that. If you read Judges, particularly chapter 3 and 4, we've got all this detail about these judges of Israel, just verses and verses and verses of detail. And there's one verse we'll show you in just a second that is just like, it, it stands out because it's one verse in the midst of all this detail. It's like the Holy Spirit's putting a spotlight on this thing. Go to that next slide for us. 
After Ehud came Shamgar, the son of Anath, who slew 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. And I read that and I went, yes, I get it, Lord. Just use what's in your hand, man. Just use what I gave you. Probably, I'm guessing, if you know that a fight's coming with the Philistines, there probably are more effective weapons to be using, right? The implication here is that he didn't expect a fight, but he used what he had. And so when you're connecting with the one, with somebody, just use what he gave you. Don't sweat what you don't have. Yeah, but I'm not well spoken. Doesn't matter. But I don't know the Bible back and forth. Doesn't matter. I'm not really gifted at interacting. Doesn't matter. I'm not an extrovert. Doesn't matter. None of that matters. We give uh, what we have, and then we just go with what's in our hand. The fourth thing we need is purposefulness. Mentioned that earlier, intentionality. So there's this aspect to a one where you just be yourself, just go with it. There's also a purposefulness and intentionality about that. We take what God's given and we're intentional about it. As the connection progresses, there'll be opportunities to talk about Jesus. One of, one of my good friends uh, is a teacher and a coach, right, Jasmine? And he has no time for Jesus, and I love him to death. And I guarantee you, he and I are on far different pages, politically, socially, um, spiritually. And every time we get together, it's like we were together five minutes ago. We don't even, and there's going to come an opportunity. There's going to be a time when he's ready, and I need to be ready to, to step through that. I need to exercise faith, which leads me to a favorite quote from an old evangelist by the name of Leonard Ravenhill. Died many years ago. He's not really an evangelist. He's a revivalist. Leonard Ravenhill said, the lifetime of an opportunity must be taken advantage of within the opportunity of the lifetime. And so be ready, because the Bible says we're ready to be, in, we're to be ready in season and out of season, ready to give uh, a, a reason for the hope within us. Be ready, because you never know when that person you're connecting with might just say, man, you are stinking weird. What's your deal? Yeah, answer. Ha- have an answer. The guys that teen challenge and they go out on a visit after being there for you know, nine or ten months, they come back and they go, Everybody in my town thinks I'm weird, man. They're all like, what is wrong with you? We, you're no fun anymore. I'm like, yeah, praise God. Not your brand of fun anymore, but I'm a different brand of fun. Give a reason. Have, have a, a, a way to give a reason. There's going to come an opportunity uh, to share that. Almost done here with prayer. Prayer is the next thing we need. James says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Go to our next slide. Next one. There you go, thank you. Another translation says this way, says prayer is effect or prayer exerts a mighty influence. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know who it affects first? Prayer affects you first when you pray. It has a mighty influence on you. And then, as Scripture says, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water, and people will reap the benefit of that. So pray, it will affect you first, and it will have an effect on them. It has a mighty influence, God's Word says. Prayer influences people. And number six is this. It's related. All these are so tightly interwoven. This last one is this. It's related to all of them. It's patience. You're going to need patience as the relationship develops. As I said, a one is not a project. It's not somebody we've got a, a set outcome for. Uh, and if we, they don't respond to that, then, okay, we move on to somebody else. 
And so it's going to require patience as the relationship develops. There's an order to this. There's a relationship first, then out of the connection of authenticity, out of that connection, we develop a platform where we can speak. So my friend, uh, the teacher, the coach, I have a platform now after a lot of years, probably 15 years, I bet, a platform where we can talk about spiritual things. When you talk about it, he's still not on the same page, but we, we can at least talk about it. But that doesn't come without um, earning that platform first, having the connection there. So quickly, notice what's not mentioned in any of these things, what's not mentioned, certain personality. You don't need to be sanguine, life of the party. I love being around lots of people and life's a party. Don't need that. If that's the way you're wired, cool, go with that. That's your ox goat, go with it. Don't need to be a great conversationalist. Don't need to know lots of facts and figures. You don't need the gift of evangelism necessarily. It's not required. It, what's not required is a certain level of Bible knowledge. I mean, please do read the Bible. Please do study God's Word. Please do meditate on it. Please do memorize it. But there's, again, there's not a threshold you reach before you can do this. Just go with what you have right now. But continue in God's Word because when you get in conversation with people and some topic comes up, the Holy Spirit doesn't draw water out of a dry well. If you don't have God's Word in you, the Spirit can't magically pull it out of you. So that's why it's important that we stay in God's Word so He's got something to, to pull out. I've said things to people before um, in like counseling or in, in conversation. I've said things, I mean, this hasn't happened often, I grant you, but I've said things and I thought, well, where did that come from? Right? I, well, it was probably something I read somewhere, something I was meditating on 12 years ago, and now's the time the Spirit pulls it out. I don't even remember reading it necessarily. But fill the well, okay? God simply asks Isaiah, whom shall I send and who will go for us? He doesn't ask who's the most gifted, who's polished, who's well-spoken, well-read. He just asks, hey, are you willing? If you're willing then let's do it. Ask the worship team to come as I uh, close up here. Um, I want to finish with Steve Jobs. Story about Steve Jobs. So Steve, spiritually, was a lifelong practitioner of Zen Buddhism. That was his, his uh, spirituality of choice. And he was pretty outspoken about that. Um, also, in his professional life, just a master of design. And so, um, again, you don't have to be an Apple fan, um, but you think about products that he uh, created, uh, not, not like we've got this product, but he created a different version of it, like something that never existed before, like an iPod, if you dial back a few years, or an iPad or an iPhone. It's like, wow, just the design and how minimalistic it is and clean it is and all that. So an appreciation for things of beauty. With that in mind, take a look at this short video. Some really interesting words from a true American revolutionary. Apple co-founder Steve Jobs was eulogized over the weekend by his sister at a small private funeral, telling his life story while painting a vivid picture of the final moments before he died. And at the end of this eulogy, she shared this with everyone. She says, quote, Steve's final words hours earlier were monosyllables repeated three times. Before embarking, he looked at his sister Patty, then for a long time at his children, 
then at his life's partner, Laureen, and then over their shoulders past them. Steve's final words were, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Isn't that interesting? I have no idea what Steve Jobs was saying. I have no clue. Uh, just looking at my watch, um, right at 21 hours ago, a uh, good friend, uh, best uh, friend in Oregon, his wife, is now with Jesus about 21 hours ago. And I can imagine what Penny is seeing and what she's saying. We know what God's Word says about heaven. You look at Daniel, look at uh, the transfiguration, what Jesus looked like on the Mount of Transfiguration. Look at Revelation. Think of all that Scripture says when it des defines heaven, when it defines what Jesus looks like. And the way I'd paraphrase it all is right there. Wow. Wow. And our friend Penny is standing in front of Jesus right now going, wow, this is better than I thought. And you know, uh, the Bible says that we don't earn salvation. It's all a gift. It's nothing that we can earn. And so what I'm about to say is not that I'm trying to earn anything, but I don't want to stand in front of him one day and give an accounting and say, man, you know what? I'm empty-handed. I, I, I didn't use what you gave me to try to influence anybody. But man, I had a great life because the gospel was about me. I want to stand there and say, here's some people... You know, there might be two or three. There might be several. I don't know. Um, I tried, I endeavored to use what you gave me to be an influence on other people to make you famous in their lives. 